here's the thing. There's so much talk about the OnlyFans girl and how emotionally broken she must be and this, that, and the other. But the reality is there's a, at least she's getting a perk. She can literally change her legacy. She might have grown up in a council estate and now can pay off her parents' house and she can start that. So of course, emotional, there's damage, but she can be like, it was worth it, whatever. She can have some self-esteem attached to it. The man that's paying for it, there's nothing to gain from it. Nothing but loss of self-respect. Before, to have sex with a woman or to see her naked, a man would have to be like, right, I have to have money, I have to be successful, I have to be kind, I have to be caring, I have to be masculine, I have to be all of these amazing things that makes him a man. And then he'd clear up. So like the Elvis Presley's days, a man would have to be all of those things to get a woman. Now it's like, I'm really craving a woman, I'm overweight, I haven't got a job, I'm playing video games all day, but I'm, I'm, I'm horny, let me just watch porn. And what men think is, oh, but she's 35, she's over. Oh, but she's been with guys. So it doesn't work like that anymore because before it might have been like that because everybody in your town has coupled up. But now, especially if she's got an open Instagram profile, um, the offers are endless. Sadia Khan. Yes, Darren Lee. Let's kick off. Of course. So your background is in psychology. Yes. How have you gone from studying psychology to now doing everything that you're doing now, helping a lot of young men and females as well mm. actually have richer and better relationships? Oh, I didn't, I didn't know I was doing that. But if I am doing <laughs> that, that's fantastic. Um, it's a really happy accident. Yeah. It's a really, I, I was always, uh, I studied psychology. I understood everything and I was going, going to go into educational psychology because my background is children and childhood trauma. So I was going to focus on child psychology, but I ended up just working in schools because it's kind of quicker and easier and the, the kids are so vibrant and mm. I just enjoyed it. Um, but I started to dislike teaching. I think that's what motivated me. I started to dislike teaching, but still really love psychology. And um, I just didn't know how to bridge the gap between that young generation, but still bring in everything I've learned and enjoyed about psychology, because I can be a clinical psychologist, but then your audience is so limited to usually older people. So I wanted to bridge that gap. And so I just started posting on Instagram, thinking absolutely nothing of it. Um, and just saw it as like a little hobby, which I actually did see it as a hobby, but a nice one. And I, I didn't realize that so many people didn't know this stuff. And only when I started getting feedback, people are like, oh, my God, this is explained so much or this explains my relationship but this explains my mum and I was like oh you didn't know that and they're like I had no clue then I started realizing that people are going into relationships blind if you don't study psychology so I thought let me just try and push the psychology kind of agenda out onto the social media isn't it wild how some people like have no idea about this before they go yeah. into long-term relationships and how many people are in that bracket. Mm -hmm. So maybe it could be more men or more women, but they kind of go into these things not thinking the severity of their actions and life is a combination of your small actions. Yeah, and, and as I, a result. I think what happens is they don't realize it. They don't realize it. They don't realize it until they keep having the same blockage in their relationships. Most people have patterns. So they don't realize that there's some kind of pre-existing trauma or insecurity that is almost um, orchestrating their behavior in relationships until they lose somebody they truly love. 
or they hurt somebody they truly love, then they take a minute and be like, is there something, there might be something wrong. And that curiosity, I think, led to clicking on my page. And then they started being open to the idea because nobody really wants to go to a shrink. And a lot of people, especially the younger generation, especially boys, they think if you have to go to a therapist, there's something already wrong with you. So I knew that's what I'm going to be up against. But if you do it in bite-sized forms on social media, they click and even if they accidentally absorb something it's better than nothing and they're they're being helped already so on a full disclosure i actually saw a therapist recently but about a year and a half ago mm-hmm. i was super stressed at work mm-hmm. and my girlfriend who had spent years of doing therapy she was like this will help you and mm-hmm. i use better help at the time which i always recommend people using it's a and great I, app great app and mm-hmm. i the therapist was based in somewhere in america mm-hmm. and i just told her i was like, really stressed at work whatever and they don't you know tell you what to do they kind of unlock yeah what you're meant to be thinking and how to think about this and it was the most beneficial thing I ever did absolutely two months eight sessions uh and i couldn't recommend it higher really what was it what was the light bulb moment for you when you were doing therapy i think it was more like the realization that hmm, that's a good that's a good issue that's a good question was there a light bulb moment i think it was the fact that a lot of them were kind of actions i could have fixed if I started to deep, think deeply and more about what I was doing. So I was kind of like running through life, mm-hmm. meeting to meeting, job to job, but not slowing down to think why I was doing something. Mm-hmm. So they would bring it back to obviously when you're younger, what are those actions? And a lot of stuff that was driven by me is to do a sport. Right. So I was very, like I'm still, I'm like athletic, but I was very much into high level sport when I was younger, really bad injury in my knee, mm-hmm. and then completely couldn't do any mm-hmm. um, physical sport anymore, mm-hmm. which led me into bodybuilding endurance running oh wow so that's been a big kind of catalyst for how i think about things in the entrepreneurship space right so well, that's why well, I ran into the those thing kind of- i love about working with entrepreneurs and ceos is they are so unaware of what is causing them to pursue this route and they're just like these you know successful men and they think i've got my shit together i'm doing so well at work because mm-hmm. they measure life success by work um, but they don't understand that becoming an entrepreneur says so much about you like if you tell me you're an entrepreneur i can tell you about your childhood talk me through that <laughs> well i usually you can tell when somebody's an entrepreneur first thing I can tell is you don't really like authority what happens to <laughs> entrepreneurs 100%. myself included uh, what happened and I'm not an entrepreneur but myself included but um, entrepreneurs first thing I know is that you don't like authority because the motivation to leave a steady income that is so safe and so reliable and just risk it all and just do your own thing usually comes because you hate orders you don't like a position of authority you need to be your own boss you can't go into somebody else's workplace and being told what to do as a grown-up and so what that signals is there may have been this is me going in too deeper there may have been some kind of hostility with one parent or both it may mm-hmm. have been some dictatorship that they didn't like they didn't trust the authority figure growing up so then what happens is they start to rebel against authority and then the idea of having a boss emailing you saying oh you are six minutes late they can't do it Whereas that person is very easy, very happy to just be told what to do, be 55 years old and still clocking in and out of work. They tend to be either people pleasers or had a really passive kind of acceptance of authority growing up. So that's usually the first thing I can tell. Is any of that ringing bells for you? Definitely, definitely, definitely. But I think what's interesting there is the fact that it's people who have an easier, not easier growth, but Mm -hmm. like life is like they're financially set growing up as a kid Mm -hmm. and then they're in like a nice city Mm. not much danger that's when they might go through that nine to five period and things are a little bit easier yeah but for me I guess like I was always kind of like hungry to 
provide for people um, survival mode exactly yeah um, like my family very ordinary didn't have a lot of money yeah but we're completely fine like and they've helped me a lot to project forward yeah in terms of giving me opportunity mm-hmm. but i kind of like always want it's probably like proving it to yourself as well yeah, yeah. Uh, but that kind of like ability doesn't stop is what i realized yeah especially if you if you came from economically deprived backgrounds there's if you ever felt unseen financially like you couldn't have your financial needs uh, needs met it gives you that drive two things it either makes you accept ordinary or it makes you completely fear being broke you have a con- intense fear of being poor that drives you and then there's no there's no cap there's no like limit there's no like a oh i'll stop at 100k a year there's just literally no limit and particularly when they grow up in environments where um I don't know if your viewers would know, but council state environments. Yeah. The reason why that really triggers entrepreneurship <laughs> is they don't see a middle class. They either see council state houses or rich houses. There's no in between in their world. They don't see what like where being a teacher will get you or where being a lawyer will get you. They just see where they're living and like maybe on TV and stuff, all the really successful people. So they end up reaching for the stars a lot more. So it's, there's so much that goes into the uh, motivation behind a CEO mm. and uh, and uh, also the sacrifices they have to make. And those sacrifices are, are relationships and connections. Main so, thing. As I said to you before, and so the main purpose of my podcast is obviously it's like an entrepreneurship podcast, mm-hmm. but it's always an overarching team is to help younger people live a richer and more fulfilling life. Yeah. I use the word richer and fulfilling because it's nuanced yeah. because richer can mean money in the bank, yeah. but it can also mean better connections. Of it can course. mean a better <laughs> lifestyle. Yeah. So how important is that you think in terms of like, we're building relationships with people especially in the earlier days like how do we kind of come into these relationships so that they're actually going to be something that are going to be successful and not lead to divorce well the problem is there's lots of two two main problems i'm finding in modern ceos firstly the skills that you have to harbor in order to be successful at business are the exact opposite skills you need for successful relationships you have to be logical you have to be cutthroat (laughs) you have to be emotionally detached you have to kind of think things through and problem solve Um, whereas relationships rely on you being non-logical entirely emotional entirely connected and in tuned with somebody's emotions being a ceo the last thing you need to be is in tuned with somebody's emotions because it's like you haven't come here on time you haven't sorted this out bye um but those skills the more you kind of practice it the more detrimental it can be to a relationship mm-hmm. so that, that's the first kind of problem the second problem particularly for really successful ceos is they attract and um, they attract emotionally detached women The reason being is because the really emotionally connected woman who's super loyal and super loving, um, she can't be with a man who's super busy. She can't, she can't do it. She's too anxious. She misses him too much. She needs him home all the time. She needs predictability. She needs stability. She wants a home. She wants you to help her put the kids to bed at night. Whereas the woman that's like, yeah, you can go on business trips for a couple of months. Yeah. You know, I'll I'll see you when I see you. Um, she tends to be a bit more emotionally detached. So what happens is that man ends up not having his emotional needs met at work. And sometimes they can be missed at home as well. So they end up having a little bit of a filter for that connection at home as well. That's right. That's super interesting. How does it work then in terms of like, so when people are getting like picking a partner yeah, and obviously like there's like a high number of divorces happening recently. I don't know what, yeah. it, what the average is, probably like 70% or 60%. God forbid, yeah. What do you think are some of those like leading indicators that are leading towards 
people getting divorced? People or CEOs? Well, they have different problems. <laughs> I, I would say I would say just say people to keep it more people, evergreen. Yeah, people getting a divorce tends to be um, first thing I would say is too many alternatives. Um, we live in a times where you can replace your partner while still being in the same room as them. You jump on the phone, you download an app, they are right there in front of you and you can message someone new. And even if it's not a person, it can be a, a, a consumerism is meant, it can be a holiday. I can just go, you're annoying me, I'm going, I'm going here. Look at the uh, ability to replace emotions are so available now. So I think the alternatives is a really big one. Those with less alternatives tend to last longer yeah, because they just don't have the alternatives so they tend to stay connected. Um, so the alternatives one um the other thing that really uh, kind of predicts it is not being in touch with each other's emotions like i was saying mm. so what i mean by that the reason why that's increasing so much is we have so much access to like phones and distractions so what happens is when your partners come home with some kind of problem instead of stopping everything and uh, listening you're now on your phone busy this that and the other the connection dies and so people are feeling unseen and unloved and unheard and when people are feeling those things because we're all kind of a bit like I don't want to look like I'm being needy I don't want to look like I'm doing all the work instead of communicating it we go to the alternatives and that's kind of what's happening with life instead of communicating and understanding that relationships have their roughs and toughs you just go to alternatives now because it's so easy that's something I've actually really tried to work on in terms of like I have like work time Mm -hmm. And I'm working, my phone's like off, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then if I am like posting online, because I do a lot of obviously podcast stuff, then I mean, me and my girlfriend Elise are together, have no phone, no, no distractions, whatever. And then she's had to kind of work on that too, because like yeah. she has her own business. So she's mm -hmm. had to kind of. And is social like, media part of her business? It's a huge It's part. everybody's, it's right? Huge yeah, part, it's, right? Every, it's horrible. And then what happens is it's so addictive because you don't know what's uh, kind of recreational and what's work. So you end up just being on that phone forever. 100%. Yeah. And then the funny part about that is now the fact that I want to do activities that mm -hmm. don't involve those things. Yeah. So if we go for a walk, we have a dog, might go to the beach, might go for hikes. Yeah. So it's about trying to like include those activities. But I, where I find the most difficult, is Monday to Friday. Yeah. Because that's the part where like your brain is just on, you know, like most people are working at all times during that period, yeah. especially when you're doing like a global business. So it's trying to put in those barometers whereby it's in the morning or in the evening. Yeah. What do you think about kind of setting boundaries with, with I partners? think that's a great idea. What happens when people are two people are busy, the only reason it needs to disconnect is if there's no reliability. What I mean by that is if me and my partner are both really busy, um, that's okay if I know every Friday we have dinner together, we go out for dinner. Because what happens is all of the anxiety and everything that you might be having, all the emotions, you know you've got an outlet for it at a particular time, or it might be we have dinner every day. We've got dedicated time. What happens to couples who end up living separate lives is they don't make that dedicated time so every emotion that they're harboring throughout the day like i'm stressed i'm upset and this that and the other they haven't had a chance to release it to their partner because there's no dedicated time so they end up becoming resentful Mm. they start resenting them they're like you don't even know what my day was going on you don't even ask me about my business you don't ask me this because they didn't make that dedicated time so that resentment is almost like frozen anger they've got all this anger that they freeze in time and they hold on to and then when they try and come to couples counseling or when they try and you know when one strayed or something like that it's years of emotional neglect that we can't undo in one in sessions 
What's the solution to that? It's dedicated time. Yeah, yeah it's, de- it's prioritizing. What I mean by that is no matter how great your business is, no matter how important, I'm speaking for myself as well because sometimes I get carried away with it, no matter how important all of these things is, they mean nothing when you have no one to share that success with. 100%. You don't want to be on the mountain on your own. Absolutely. You don't. Here's the thing. We all get sick. We all get old. Yeah. Now, all of the business deals, all of those things, none of these people are going to be there when you get sick and old. Yeah. They're not even going to care when you, when we pass away. So when we sacrifice connections to kind of uh, prioritize success, um, we're measuring success un- uh, incorrectly. Mm-hmm. Success is measured by the people that will be there when you aren't successful. How many of those relationships have you cultivated? Now, if you're very financially successful, but the people that would be there for you, if you weren't financially successful, is getting less and less, you are not successful. Mm-hmm. Does that make any sense? It didn't make sense to me. I think especially like as you're building like a business, your network is getting bigger. Yeah. And like, that's a big thing is that it's you getting... want to build your network and you want to do that. But then there's a clear distinction between who's a business partner or yeah someone you just collaborate with and then someone who's actually there for you. you Exactly that. The network is getting bigger, but it doesn't mean it's getting stronger. 100%. And there's own, I can always say that you can count on like one hand, how many close friends I have. Mm -hmm. I don't want to extend that as well. And Mm -hmm. you must be obviously very cognizant of it too, because like your content has blown up. So you can yeah. imagine when people that would contact you and like, hey, you want to go for dinner? What's really hard with mine, what's really hard with my life, what I find, because of, like when you've got a career like yours, it's niche. So whatever it is, whatever intelligence or success or whatever it is, only people in the know know. Because my kind of business is something that everybody can relate to because it's about human nature when i meet somebody and i talk to them just because that's how i talk they think we're best friends they're like she's my best friend you're gonna and i'm like uh what was sorry what was your name again (laughs) because i'm so connected to that human kind of uh activation that people connect to me very quickly but i just unfortunately i only i always say to everybody i only have two hands i'm so sorry sorry but i do love that because what happens is people feel connected very quickly and easily it's just that unfortunately i don't always have the time to nurture those connections so it's a bit annoying so that's the only thing that i find difficult have you managed to maintain all your connections as you become busier um to some degree yeah. i have to be more concise with my time yeah for sure and just more like time allocated whether i meet people or whether i allocate time for like whatsapp messages like yeah, this, do you, you know? have you uh, how's your relationship with your parents since you've got busier good but see they live in ireland yeah and I live in singapore same. so Obviously, I was I was I saw them at Christmas, but I had yeah. some before that for like a year. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'd love to do, and what I always say this as well, is that I'd love to build a house in Asia and have my parents live there. Yeah, uh, I need my parents. My I'm missing them as well at the moment. They keep messaging me here and there, and I always say, "Oh yeah, I'll message back and stuff." Yeah. And I just haven't had a chance I, recently. I try to put up time for calls. I, I always do that. So <sighs> very I, stressful because they live in like the middle of fucking nowhere in Ireland. So I try to do like video <laughs> calls when I can. And yeah, like this you know, but trying to build that. They're framework. happy for you though. They're proud. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, because yeah, you know I, mean? I think they saw that I was quite disgruntled. I guess in like the nine to five kind of setup yeah, and how that kind of went. Very so. soul destroying. Yeah, so it's yeah. kind of good. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you about marriage. Mm-hmm. Do you think we need to get married? People yeah, need to get married. Especially men. Yeah. 
especially men. They need marriage so, so much. What happens is men seem to think, especially in this day and age, because of the toxic culture of relationships, they're like, we've got all the time in the world. We don't have a biological clock, but you have a financial clock. And when you're single, you waste so much of your time, money, and energy. I promise you. Table hose. Uh, can yeah. I, yeah, I can say that, right? Course, uh, uh, dating yeah. randomly, this, that, and the other. Women draining your energy and resources. It is such a waste of your precious, precious energy. Now, when you have a wife, what it does, of course, she's annoying. And I'm, I'm not saying that she's going to be perfect. And of course, she stresses you out, whatever it is. But that box is ticked. You're not on the streets. You're not worrying about who's texting you back, where you're going. This, that, when you've got business meetings, you're not thinking, oh, God, we're going to get a table. I need to get girls on this table. You know, like you don't have to have those worries and stresses. So what having one woman does is firstly, it gives you that sense of stability and it helps you financially because you've got one person rather than spreading it out thinly and spreading it in clubs and stuff like that which a lot of single people do the other thing it does is she maintains your if she if you pick wisely this is the key if you pick wisely she encourages you to focus on your mental and spiritual and physical health at the same time mm. if you pick wisely yeah vetting is everything but when you pick a good woman hopefully you you set the boundaries correctly which a lot of successful men don't but if you do what she'll do is when you're stressed working 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 she'll be like you've got that backache have you gone to the doctor yet you know she'll nag you but she keeps you in check. Now, when you meet those really successful men that don't have that, what happens is they like look after themselves aesthetically, but not internally. So they'll be in the gym all the time because they're always single and stuff. But internally, they'll have a knee problem for four years or, you know, they'll have a broken brain cell and that they haven't checked out on. And so it's, there is so much to gain from marriage from a man so so much and there's so much that you can lose as a man when you're just single especially when you're making money single with money dangerous i agree what are some of the factors to consider in a partner to get married I would say the main factor in a marriage is um, it's not so much about your partner. It's about your boundaries. Yeah, I would say it's instead of a partner, they need to be this for that and the other. It's more about when you're selecting a partner, you need to stay loyal and uh, on your boundaries. What I mean by this is if you have a partner and she's beautiful, she's intelligent, she's so, so great, but she keeps breaking your boundaries. She keeps disrespecting you. She doesn't, you know, listen to your advice or she keeps, you know, in contact with an ex or there's something going on that's a deal breaker every time you forgive that deal breaker it will come back magnified mm -hmm. so when you pick a partner when you're watching out for the deal breakers and you're using those deal breakers as a signal that you that, that she's not good for you you will pick correctly but if you ignore deal breakers and think she'll get better i can change her if i just throw a bit of money at her she'll start behaving you're setting, you're, you're guaranteeing the divorce. Mm. What about from a female perspective? Because women often say like, oh, I'll fix him or I can fix the, the bad guy or whatever. <laughs> but why, why is there that attachment? Is that to do with childhood? Well, yeah, unfortunately, what happens with people who have had struggled with connections with their parents in their childhood, they either had to earn the love or didn't receive the love, or it was negative or hostile. They seem to think that having to earn or create love in a person and get them to finally love you is normal. They think you have to work at it. They think you have to beg them. They think you have to kind of get them and be patient. Uh, but really, people don't respect the person who accepts their unacceptable behavior. Mm. 
So if I'm unacceptable, if I'm disloyal to you and I'm swearing at you and I'm rude to you and you still want to be with me, I automatically don't love you anymore. And the reason for that is because you've shown me I can be my worst and you'll accept it and I don't want to be my worst. Mm -hmm. We all want to be our best. I don't want to be hitting my husband and swearing at him. When he accepts that, there's a part of us that says, why are you taking this? As much as we might cry and beg you to take us back, we don't like it. Whereas when a man sets boundaries for us, as much as it's difficult, we know it's going to bring out the best in us. Mm. So when we accept the unacceptable, we remove the connection rather than create it. How do you communicate that with your partner? Every time, his boundaries are really nice and easy. Every time you feel uncomfortable with a behavior, you don't wait for it to then become a deal breaker. So for example, I don't like what uh, my partner's uh, coming home late a couple of times. I don't wait for it to be staying over, getting worse, worse, then say something. Because what happens is I wait for it to get too far. The resentment's got too much and now it's hard to undo. I voice it in that moment. I listen to the part of my soul that's saying, I don't like this. And I say it to them calmly rather than bottling, 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 then exploding. Because then the partner's like, what's wrong with you? So I say it calmly in the beginning, calmly, calmly, calmly. Let them know your boundaries. Now, when they, if you've got a good partner, they'll be like, oh, sorry, shit. Yeah, it's just a couple of days. I'll be home. Don't worry. Yeah. But when you've got a partner that's like, I do what I want, it's a, it, it's a signal that they're not looking to compromise. Friction. You don't have to f break up with them and you don't have to scream and shout and fight with them, but it is a signal that you can't ignore. Um, so I mentioned to you that I did like a lot of, <clears throat> a lot of like rounds of uh, therapy or whatever yeah. you would call it, like meetings, whatever you call it. And one thing that I always learned that was like so helpful was like, you never say like you. So like, you're wrong. Yeah. Like, you came in fucking late. You yeah. did all this wrong. Instead it's like, I feel, I feel, I feel upset when this happened. So yeah. I still haven't said the word you. Yeah. So I say, so let's just talk about a hypothetical scenario. So you said coming home late. Yeah. Like I feel like worried uh, when um, I have to go to bed on my own. Yeah. Like and then the other That's... person's like, oh fuck, you know, now I finally understand how you mm -hmm. feel and I'll make the change. Yeah. And just by making those small changes, my relationship has like massively it's improved. amazing. Over yeah. Every year. Because I'm even like non like non related to the relationship, just even like communicating how you actually feel about stuff. Yeah. So like instead of me being like, oh that guy's a prick or that person like did me wrong or whatever, it's like I feel frustrated mm -hmm. because this has not happened and now I have to make this like change or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's actually the best way to communicate a criticism because behind every criticism is a need. Your partner mm -hmm. has a need, and what's happened when they criticize you is that they don't feel safe to express that need, but they do feel comfortable saying a criticism. But how you change that and make it more productive is just three steps. You start with I feel I am I feel you start with a feeling you state exactly what you're upset about the actual event and then you say what you need so I event and the need what I mean by this is I feel upset when you come home late yeah I need you to let me know when you're going to be late or what people who break up they'll say things like you're so selfish you don't care about me this is what you always do I don't even want to talk to you they do the opposite. Whereas if I say I, and you state your feeling, you stay on the specific event that upset you, and then you explain to them what you need from them, that leads to constructive com uh, communication for couples. 
That's amazing. Yeah. I, actually, I love that. Yeah. We jumped straight into marriage. We should go back as well. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's good. You can tell you're Irish and I'm Pakistani. We're like, we're raised to just get married. I, I think it's interesting because like, obviously there's been like so We're the same, by the stuff, way. When I, I mean? meet Irish people, they're just like, their parents are like us. You have like mothers like we have. It's, it's very much, our families are very similar. But again, like yeah. I, like, as I said, my, my partner's American, so it's quite yeah. different from that yeah. dynamic, you know? Mm. But I wanted to ask more about the dating side of things. Yeah. So uh, obviously the dating world is like pretty kind of mental at the mm -hmm. moment. Do you think that like the do you think it's one of the rise of kind of this kind of like difficulty is the fact that Instagram has skewed our perception of what like yeah. a good partner is or like someone who's pretty or someone who is like respectable? Yeah. And like not necessarily even Instagram, like all different platforms like Tinder platforms or yeah. dating platforms or whatever. I would say each of them had a different effect, but they were all as detrimental as each other. Tinder was groundbreaking because what it introduced is the idea that you can have um, casual relationships at the drop of a hat. Yeah, they had, a, you can be as casual as you want at the drop of a hat and it taught people you no longer need to experience heartbreak, just get distracted. So what happened is when in the past, when you break up with someone, you'd be a little bit hurt and you'd dwell on the situation, try and self-improve and then either get that person back or just work on yourself. That has been replaced with just download Bumble, just download Tinder. What's wrong with you? And your friends would recommend that. Absolutely. They're like, have you been on any dates yet? You know? yeah. so, so here's what's happened. Our coping mechanisms is no longer self-improvement. Mm -hmm. Our coping mechanisms are, how do I find somebody else? And as a result, we're going from one trauma to the other trauma, carrying that baggage with us and projecting it. So I think Tinder was the devil's like uh, workshop for marriage. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's exactly what the devil ordered for marriages because it completely distracts and um, takes the takes away the commitment element in relationships. So Tinder had that effect. And I felt like Facebook and stuff just helped you kind of, well, not, not I'm saying it lightly because it's light in comparison. What Facebook did was help you reconnect with old, old flames maybe. Mm -hmm. And it created that door. But what Instagram did is it completely revolutionized what men look for in partners in the worst way possible. What happened with Instagram is men started seeing very perfect polar, uh, pictures of women in a particular way. And then what happens is is women see what men like. This is what men don't realize. Their simple tap, double tap directs women. So what happened is every girl that was getting more and more popular on Instagram became the framework for the young girls that was watching her boy like Bodies pictures. Bodies morphing continuously. Bodies morphing. We all look the same now. I'm, I'm saying even myself, like we do, I get all my makeup tips and stuff. I, I go to the gym we, like everyone else yeah, does. Yeah, like everybody else does and stuff. And um, so we, we morphed into the same kind of person. And what's happening is we were so, so distracted by that, that what happens is when we see normal, we see see it as unattractive. Normal becomes unattractive. So a normal body is unattractive. Stretch marks is unattractive. A man that doesn't work out is unattractive. Rather than being grateful, men now or women, they want somebody that they can show a picture of. Before, if I said to you, 20 years ago, if I said to you, um, I'm dating a guy, you would just say, okay, fine. But now it's like, show me a picture. So we're like, oh shit, let me, oh, he doesn't have any pictures. <laughs> oh yeah, he doesn't post much. <laughs> so what's happened is it's, it's in encourage shallow connections mm. it's really encouraged that and more so than anything it's given women so many insecurities because she gets to see in real time what men her, her, her what sorry what women her partner finds attractive by who he's following who he's liking it creates so much it's so many insecurities in both men and women 
the platforms literally drive a particular look. Yeah. And like even forgetting about like women, because we can discuss like the the nuances of that. But for, even from like a, a male perspective, it's the tall, tanned, shredded, perfect hairline guy. Yeah. And then as a result, then that's what everyone moves towards. And that's even including me, like as in, you know, yeah. train a lot, whatever. But what's interesting here is the fact that <clears throat> there's the next layer up, which is guys that are on gear, guys that are on like performance enhancing drugs that get you closer to that look. Mm. So we celebrate that look closer. And yeah. then like, there's even more like drugs that would make the guy look even better and not yeah. too big because mm. girls don't like guys that are too big. Yeah, of So there's even like a, a better look than that. Mm. And then there's obviously the female equivalent of that of then course. as a result. Yeah. So like how has that changed like literally our perception of like who we want because that person who we want may not be the person we want as a long-term partner. Uh, yeah, here's the problem with, uh, especially for men, what's happening is they're so visual, they're so visual. So the woman that they want is always going to be the girl that is, has her whole body out on Instagram. It's perfectly done. And she's, you know, always posting because she becomes into his foresight. He sees her all the time. So she gets the most attention and she's the one that he probably lusts after the most. Now, the problem is that woman who's doing all of those things is actually probably not ready for a relationship mm. and it's probably not marriage material because marriage material women tend not to want so many alternatives all the time they tend not to want so much male attention because they actually prefer to just invest in one but that woman who kind of posts all the time and all of these things there is an element of narcissism in them yeah and i'm saying this even myself i've got a following now and stuff and i never knew any, any of this existed because before i uh, was on instagram i only started it a year ago but for years i just had a private instagram no pictures of me maybe a picture of my nephew and that's about it and so i saw that side of life and then i opened it up um not on a a beauty kind of a, a thing but you know when you're open to the public you're open to public uh praise and criticism so i i got to see the other side of life yeah i got to see it. luckily i did it in a healthy way but i just remember thinking if i'm getting these kind of offers and dms which i you know which by the way don't give me those offers. I'm never going to reply. Um, but if I am getting those and I'm just posting a little bit about like, hi, how are you? Imagine if I was posting my body. Imagine if I was posting my boobs and bum and imagine what their DMs look like. So how can that woman not become narcissistic? Mm -hmm. How can that woman stay humble when every time her boyfriend annoys her, all she needs to do is post a picture, a, a throwback from when she was on a beach and she's forgotten about him. Does that increase the competition amongst men then for female partners? Well, ha what's happening is men think that they're in control more than they actually are. Men think they're the picks because, well, especially with the uh, podcast scene, they'll tell you, oh, women, she ages out at 30 or this Myron. woman, yeah, Myron, <laughs> dumbass. Um, but they'll say women age out at 30. Women, your timeline is so short. They don't realize that for women, especially in this day and age, the timeline is endless. When a woman turns 20, she's got every guy from 18 to 30 following her and messaging her. But when she turns 30, she's just got the same amount of men just pushed forward. It's 30 to 40. When she turns 40, there are still men 40 to 60 seeing her as a young chick. Her, If she's attractive, her queue is endless. Mm -hmm. And what men think is, oh, but she's 35, she's over. Oh, but she's been with guys. So it doesn't work like that anymore because before it might have been like that because everybody in your town has coupled up. But now, especially if she's got an open Instagram profile, um, the offers are endless. I want to ask you about um, OnlyFans. Mm -hmm. So from just like meeting some people and stuff, like the, the funnel, if I will, of OnlyFans is literally 
wild. So like, I girls, don't know. Can you tell me about that? I'll give yeah. you a full disclosure. Of yeah. It, right? So, so do, some people, do most girls make money, or is it just a tiny percentage of women? So it's like it's like anything. There's, yeah. It's you know it's skewed to the top. There's people at the top make a shitload, hundred k, fifty k, seventy five k a month. Wow. Some then make zero. Some mm. then make two hundred dollars. So the mm. average is like five hundred dollars a month. And mm-hmm. the reason why that is because it's skewed towards people who make right. Some, okay. So there's like let's say like ten million users, mm. but only a hundred thousand make all the money. Yeah. Okay. Mm. But like people are trying like to get with anything in life, like with anything, mm-hmm. especially even like podcasting, right? Mm-hmm. But the, the funnel, if you will, if you're familiar with like sales funnels, right, is that they have Instagram, they're in Dubai, they're in Bali, they're mm-hmm. in uh, Ibiza, put up a photo. Then you go from there to Twitter. Right. And on Twitter, they're a bit more open, mm-hmm. they have a bit more, like less clothes on. Yeah. And they're sending them then to a free page on OnlyFans, right. which gets a guy to sign up uh-huh. and they drive them to a paid page. Oh, wow. So it's and, steps. So it's steps. And then the paid page is only $7.99 a month, but yes. the real money is in the DMs. Okay. So that's where people ask for a particular photo and then it's $1,000, $2,000, $3,000. And we can get into the type of people who actually purchase them soon. But that availability of getting the top 1% like beautiful girl to just talk to me back yeah. has, has surely screwed and fucked up any sort of like relationship or thought process of how we should go about a relationship. Both. Both. It affects both men and women equally. Here's the thing. There's so much talk about the OnlyFans girl and how emotionally broken she must be and this, that and the other. But the reality is there's a, at least she's getting a perk. She can literally change her legacy. She might have grown up in a council estate and now can pay off her parents' house and she can start that. So of course, emotional, there's damage, but she can be like, it was worth it, whatever. She can have some self-esteem attached to it. The man that's paying for it, there's nothing to gain from it. Nothing but loss of self-respect because when a man has to remember how he feels afterwards, when he's finished paying and she's not messaging and he's finished his subscription and she doesn't look at him again, or even when he's finished physically, finished doing whatever it is he does, there's no way he's proud of himself in that moment Mm. because what men are actually wanting is intimacy. They think they want sexual kind of pleasure, but they're really craving emotional intimacy. And because in this day and age, they're not open about that and they don't have wives and they don't have close relationships with mums and sisters or whatever it is, they're craving emotional intimacy, masking it as sexual preference and sexual pleasure, and then still not understanding why they feel so low. So the depression is through the roof. You want to hear the wildest thing? Go ahead. That. Wildest thing. (laughs) (laughs) So a lot of these girls Mm. are not even managing their accounts. Absolutely. I would, I, I, if I, I was, you know what, if there was a psychology version of OnlyFans, I would definitely sign up, <laughs> but, you know, and I would never touch it. Mm-hmm. I would never touch it. And I'll just have some, somebody I'm paying in India to just reply to it and stuff like that. That's no offense when I say India, I'm no, from Pakistan. That's, that's, that's yeah. Do, but yeah. So a lot of the outsource, because they yeah. can outsource, right? There are either people from the Philippines, mm-hmm. but you'll, you'll find this funny. Because it's dudes, a lot of the people that respond are gay guys. Of course. Because they know what what tips off a guy. So like if I knew, which I obviously don't know, which I obviously know is like all the tendencies that a guy wants. If I'm a gay guy, I don't mind speaking to this like yeah. other male and I was telling him exactly what I need to say and then he's dishing out all the cash mm. he's making a percentage and it's going to the woman so that's where it gets even funnier that, like where it gets more complex is the fact that you have these top tier models and then they're not even doing anything it's just 
other guys that are running it. Yeah, and and here's the thing what men need to wake up to. When they even when they're watching porn and stuff like that, a lot of them are looking for that part where the woman looks into the camera and looks at, gives them that eye contact. That's what they're actually craving. And even these men that have like sugar babies and stuff like that, they want loyalty and commitment out of this girl. So if it was just sexual pleasure, then they wouldn't get so upset when she doesn't reply or she doesn't they're looking for connection. That's what you're truly looking for. Every human, man, woman, child, dogs, we're looking for connection. When we mask it with sexual pleasure, it's because the system is skewed and designed to get money out of you. We mask what our tr- the true need is connection. If they tell, if the governments or if the companies tell you the cure to your depression is connection, the cure to your loneliness is connection, that's free. How do I market that? We, you just go connect with your family and friends. That's totally free. But if they tell you, oh, actually, it's sexual pleasure. Let me show you pornography pictures. Or if I tell you, oh, it's actually, you need an SSRI. Let me show you this, that, and the other. You will always be a slave to consumerism. Mm-hmm. So take yourself out of it. 100%. You have to remove yourself from that. Take yourself out of that rat race. They don't care about you. So the the three typical um, guys that would be on OnlyFans, and I've been told this from oh, guys so who, fascinated by yeah. this. So, I, so I, yeah. I, know, I know guys that run agencies that manage models. Right. So that's why I, I know this. Okay. Like, they're on my podcast. Like guys on model. Amazing. <clears throat> so the three genres which of guys will be the guy that's quite introverted, mm-hmm. uh, not that like socially like video game kind of guy. Yeah, but also like you know he's a software engineer for Google and he right. makes five hundred k a year. Oh wow! Right, so it's that, that guy. kind of successful. Like, yeah, it's successful. Successful guy. nerd. Exactly. Yeah. So therefore, he doesn't go out or whatever, and he'll speak to a girl that he finds really attractive, and he may pay two k a month. Right. Okay. So that that's one bracket. Which okay, whatever. So that's probably a good niche to target. Exactly, yeah. Exactly. And. This is not my But feedback. from a business perspective, yeah. my but brain is like, exactly. ooh. But, but <laughs> yeah. from what I've heard is that yeah. the guys are like pretty happy with it, whatever, right? Yeah. Then the other bracket is really, really rich old guys. So right. mega rich guys that own fucking ship, com- yeah. ship companies. And mm. then they're paying someone who's 21 and that's it. The worst category and the last category is someone who's in uh, a marriage. So a husband. Right. Who is paying someone that's doing this on the sly with a second phone. Mm. Why do you think people are doing, what, why do you think that, category is doing it he's neglected from his wife you think so yeah there's an element of neglect and this is something that women get really offended when i tell them this but the reality is men are babies yeah they really are babies now when um when the wife and this is no this is not her fault but when you have kids with women when they naturally have kids and all of these things they are designed to just focus on the children is how we're designed biologically. We have the hormones, we have the obsession, we get so much oxytocin from just kissing that child. What happens then is she doesn't even see her husband anymore. So he comes into his home and almost feels like a stranger in his own home because it's like mom and baby, they're so connected. Baby's always a bit like connected to mom. She can't switch off. He'll go for dinner with his wife and she's thinking about the baby, baby, baby. Slowly, that that husband feels more and more neglected. And what happens then is, because it's so weird to say to your wife, why are you always with the baby? Can you give me a kiss instead? It's such a weird conversation to have. So what they end up doing is seeking that attention elsewhere. Now, it's not all men. Some men dive into the parenthood with their wife. They hold their hand, wife's hand, and go straight into the children. But other men, especially if they didn't receive a lot of love growing up, they need that personalized attention. Mm. So when they're not getting it from their partner, instead of communicating it, they go source it somewhere else. That's super interesting. 
It's weird to see him go that far and that extreme. Yeah, you know? well, it depends what kind of husband you have. Some men really do just, like, my dad was like this. He was very involved in the kids. So he would not care that she's not, my mum's not really paid him much attention and stuff. But other men, and I have uncles like this, where they really seek attention from their wife and they get like, play with me, be with me kind of vibe. And um, so I, everybody's different, but it does depend on their level of self-esteem and their pre-existing traumas. You mentioned porn. Mm-hmm. How much does that fry men's like brains and dopamine? Uh, I, I've been speaking about this a little bit recently, but my end goal from whatever it is that I've created on social media is to really, really undo some of the prevalence of porn because there's no one factor that destroys a man's manhood more than pornography. This is what men, why it does it. Yeah? The first thing it does is, of course, it creates unrealistic expectations, which we all know. But the problem with that is, is it's causing early impotence. By the time a man is 27 now, he has seen more pornographic images than the average like 90 year old man he's seen more nudity so what happens and more extreme versions of nudity so what happens is it starts mild and then but if you're starting at 10 how much mild porn can you watch that's the average age of when they start yeah uh, god forbid yeah that's the average age now if you're starting at 10 watching pornography how much casual pornography can you watch by the time you get to 15 it turns into something else and by the time you get to 20 it turns into something else by the time you get to 30 it turns into criminal behavior yeah it turns into so what happens is the average woman can no longer stimulate you and you find yourself having erectile dysfunction but the bigger issue i feel like it causes men is they no longer feel like they need to work on the skills and the attributes it takes to attract a woman before to have sex with a woman or to see her naked a man would have to be like right i have to have money i have to be successful i have to be kind i have to be caring i have to be masculine i have to be all of these amazing things that makes him a man and then he'd clear up so like the elvis presley's days a man would have to be all of those things to get a woman now it's like i'm really craving a woman i'm overweight i haven't got a job i'm playing video games all day but i'm 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 horny let me just watch porn Whereas before it'd be like, get yourself up, come on, go talk to women. So they're losing the drive of what makes them masculine. So they become more and more uh, uh, emasculated and they become a weaker version of themselves every time they watch it because they can satisfy themselves without working on themselves. It's a lot of cheap dopamine. It's being very cheap. And but also sex. very, very dangerous dopamine. Of course. Mm. But I think like, so I've given up alcohol for the last 10 and a half months. Oh, I've never tried alcohol in my life. No way. No. Well, you know, just an angel. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. You, you've you've never known the other side of it. But no. like I always said it's like I'm a. I'm so so impressed by people who give it up though, even though I've never tried it. The people that give it up are the ones that have to face so much peer pressure, and they have to really go against the grain. Whereas for me, nobody pressures me because they know I'm never going to try it. But mm-hmm. see, the thing for me, so the reason why it was a little bit easier for me is because yeah. I'm literally in the middle of Asia on my own. It's me, my girlfriend, my dog, oh. a lot of my like network are a lot older mm. so for my podcast like a lot of my friends could be like 40 50 Amazing. 27 mm. so it's fine and we go for dinner and they'd be like oh do you want like this like four thousand dollar like glass of wine i'm like i'm okay you know oh. so it's fine but of course i've come from like irish culture I yes. lit- i'm no angel like as in i've been to like every event in ibita you can never you uh, can name it right stop. <laughs> but over the course of like six years from like say 19 to 24 25 yeah. i had my party days mm-hmm. and now i'm kind of in the building phase of what i would say and like fixing all that kind of shit yeah but those cheap dope means are so easier to lean into so drink 
obviously there's like sex, mm-hmm. drugs, all that kind of stuff involved yeah. as well. How would you recommend someone to kind of clear their mind from all that? Well, here's what alcohol does. It's pseudo confidence. And what, again, here's the goal of a man should be to have a natural element in him that enables him to be masculine. Now, when you take alcohol, what it does is, I mean, I've never tried alcohol, but what I have noticed about myself comparatively to my friends who drink is that I'm not waiting for something to kick in before I start being me. I'm not waiting for a drug to sink into my body for me to be authentic. I'm not waiting for it to sink in for me to start dancing. I'll walk into an environment if there's music on, I'm like ready to roll because, and my friends are like, let me just let this sink in. I'm like, let what song is sinking? And I, let me just, and I'm like, it's so foreign to me. I'm just like, what are we waiting for? This song is good. But it's like, what happens then when you do that is you numb your authenticity. You numb your ability to be confident without it. You numb your ability to say what you want to say without it. You numb your ability to talk to women without it. So you're numbing your authenticity. You're suppressing who you truly are and waiting for the alcohol to unleash it. But true confidence and true self-esteem and true needs are met when you can be whoever you truly are in the absence of any kind of external um, doses. So when they can finally be themselves, you can only do that when you don't rely on alcohol. And then you know what you truly feel and what you truly like as well. Because what happens is I'll sometimes be with friends and we're in the shittest place, but because they're drinking, they're still they're like, yeah, it's fine, it's fun. I'm like, no, it's not. This place is a dive. Why are we here? They're pretending it's fun because they've got the extra kind of added dose. But when you remove that, you can actually experience life authentically. And only when you experience life authentically is a, a life worth living. And I think a lot of it is then the insecurities. And like I said, it's with no sense of superiority. Yeah, I yeah. I'm I sure younger, if I could drink, I mean, it's religious reasons, but I'm sure I would be, I'd be the worst if I could drink. But like from what was like kind of so common, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and not like Irish people, just just in general. Is that like when I was younger, probably because I was a bit more, uh, influ- I was more influenced by people, you know? Yeah. So I'd always have like a gin and tonic in my hand mm-hmm. and I'd always have a cigarette. Oh. So if we're out at an event, I'd always have both hands are occupied. Right. And then when you remove that, you're like, what do I do with these? So then like as I like kind of like stepped away from it, I've become actually way more confident than like yeah, all of you, you realize you can dance. You but can I, enjoy but music. But also my own, my own interests and yeah. my own like uh, values. So yeah. now I'm like, oh, I don't really need to. So like, for instance, like when I met a couple people here, they all don't drink as well, which is really interesting because like Dubai, like there's mm. lots of people that are pushing really hard. And they're like, yeah, let's just go chill but out. You know why that, you coffee. know why that is? Because Dubai's culture is, it's very expensive to drink unless you're doing brunches, which makes it very cheap to over drink. So it's unlimited drinks or very expensive. So people have done brunches and realize how unbearable alcohol your body's rejecting it so they get so sick of the brunches that they think my body can't take this anymore and then they go through the cleanse period Mm -hmm. yeah because your body rejects it i think everyone should just do like 30 days and then you see a comparison because you Mm. literally it's like an a b test you see Mm. what i was and what i am Mm. and i'm not saying forever i just think that even for me i like the fact that i go like month to month and i'm like and i think it's just so significant because like as i mentioned like 27 and now quite extroverted. I could do that every every I want to do. Yeah. But I think I have like other goals, which I'm not saying that people don't. It's just 
for what I want to do. Mm, but I, I definitely think I attribute a lot of my confidence down to the fact that I can't rely on anything. And your success. I, yeah. And your education. Yeah. But no, yeah. Because like, like, your psychology degree yeah. from UCL. Yeah, yeah. And you've gone on to other things. Yeah. Like you weren't out getting shit-faced. Yeah, I, I mean, it wasn't an option. My dad is, you know, he's Pakistani. That's, that's yeah, great, you know, it wasn't. It's great. Now I love the boundaries because they've enabled me to uh, optimize my potential. Uh, obviously, at the time, I was just like, I can't do anything even if I wanted to. So that's why one of the things I always make clear, it's not, I didn't have a choice when it came to having a really kind of, um, kind of non-promiscuous lifestyle. It was my parents were created it and then it cultivates in yourself and it becomes, you internalize it. So it wasn't like a choice I made. I'm sure if I had the freedom, I wouldn't have made these choices. But I would say that I promise you, you find authenticity when you remove alcohol from your life and you find, you realize who you actually enjoy the company of. You realize, you know, when you're talking to a girl in the club and you're fully drunk and she seems so interesting and you're like, yeah, 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 I want to take her out. And then you go on a date with her sober and you're like, this dumb bitch. Like, so, dumb dumb bitch. And then they call me, my friends always call me and they're like, oh, she's so boring. And I was like, but you were so drunk when you spoke to her. And they're like, oh, she's not even that pretty. I was like, you were drunk. That's the thing. And then imagine how many bad decisions come from that desire to escape your real life through the use of alcohol. Think of how many children have either been born or aborted just because you wanted a fun night out. It's not worth it. 100%. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you about money. So yes. we're in... Can I have <laughs> some? Do you have any? <laughs> <laughs> we're in obviously like a very like rich yeah. country, rich mm-hmm. area. And even in Singapore as well, it's like very wealthy. Do you think that like females are more drawn towards guys with money? What happens is in cultures where there's lots of money, it attracts beautiful women. Yeah, Uh, because what happens with very beautiful women is they realize how much they can get for free. So they start to clock onto that very quickly. So what happens in cultures like that is that you get super successful men and super beautiful women. And now the uh, uh, money attracts women, absolutely, but it attracts disloyal women. Mm-hmm. money only attracts disloyal women if you're an old man with lots of money and you're overweight and this that, and the other but you're getting lots of girls you're not getting girls you're getting girls you're getting investors people who want to get money out of you that's what you're getting but money only attracts emotionally unavailable women but looks or even like character or charisma or uh, comedy all of these things actually attracts connection mm-hmm. so yes money uh, attracts uh, women just like having a pair of big boobs attracts men but is that what you want do you want to just attract men with big boobs it's it doesn't lead to connection so it's hollow i've um i've seen some studies before i just like heard them about you may have, you may see this kind of reference like the uh the cheerleader and the college jock mm-hmm. reference so the i quarter- actually haven't so you'll so, have to teach me yeah. so the cheerleader who's the main cheerleader mm-hmm. she's a cheerleader captain and you have the quarterback right and when they're in high school they're like super super like you know popular and everything yeah and as they go on to their career <clears throat> the cheerleader becomes a lawyer and the jock. quarterback becomes nothing he just works at Walmart, drinks mm-hmm. beer all night, plays video games and watches mm-hmm. porn. And then they've kind of diverged out. Mm-hmm. And as a result, then the relationship's at like a unbalance. And yeah. then therefore, like they've drawn differently. Have you ever seen kind of references towards that as well in terms of like actual success with like money? Because 
if people get together when they're both yeah. quite on the same page, but then this guy goes off to like hundred yeah. million inside a company. He runs all the ego, everything runs yeah. into it. I see this a lot with celebrities. Um, you know, I, I, it's not like I know millions of celebrities, but, you know, I'm, I'm quite lucky with my circle. And I see this a lot with footballers. I see it a lot with rappers. And uh, I see it a lot with just athletes in general. What happens is they are encouraged to be with somebody from before the fame. They're really encouraged to do that because they can't trust people. Uh, when they become famous, they don't know who wants them. Everybody's a bit awkward and inauthentic with them. So they're always with somebody from before the fame. But the problem is the person that they chose before the fame and the money and all of those things is she no longer needs to work on herself because she has to be your pillar of strength. She almost puts herself on pause. He is then going on to conquer the world. Now, the problem that happens is when he comes home, there's no emotional or intellectual intimacy. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that is if she's been at home cooking and cleaning out, looking after the kids, as beautiful as that is, it hasn't the man that's been closing deals or performing on stage or scoring goals has nothing in common with that because there's been no drive in her day she can't talk about the peaks and troughs of her day the way he can so what ends up happening is he's no longer inspired and he's no longer intellectually stimulated so he doesn't realize that's what it is he thinks he's just bored of it but then all it takes is him to meet a girl that works in a top accounting firm and she says something interesting and he glorifies that statement he's like oh my god my wife's never said something so intellectual and they start to become drawn to intellectual intimacy because their days are so stimulating and they can't relate to that bored housewife so that's the problem i do find that's interesting though because i was thinking that like the ceo dude whatever whatever yeah he would not be as interested in the boss babe who's also trying to build her career. Here's the thing. They they don't like the boss babe if it's masculine and rejecting. Yeah, that's what it is. It's not what you do. It's how you make your partner feel. If I'm a boss, but I'm still looking after my man, I'm still kissing him, hugging him, making him feel loved. He's not going to mind that I'm a boss. But if I'm a boss babe and I'm like, oh, I'm not coming home for a couple of days or I'm not spending time with you. That's what they don't like. Mm. That is actually how you're making them feel. But there is something so stimulating and attractive about somebody else who's at who matches your intellectual level not i'm not talking about financial level intellectual level now if you're having a busy day podcast talking to really intelligent people and then you come home and let's say for example i don't know anything you can't share some of that wisdom you learned today I have a lot of, uh, you know, interesting conversations every day. If I'm with somebody who doesn't get it, I'll end up just saying, oh, work was fine. Work was fine. It was okay. What are you, in, internally, you're thinking there's no point telling you, you won't get it. So there's a disconnect. How much can you talk? Mm. So that's why it leads to a problem. How do you share enough with your partner, but it doesn't become all about work? Because if you're the CEO, bro, mm -hmm. like you do nothing else but fucking spreadsheets, right? So yeah. how do you, how do you, create that kind of balance like, uh, balance but also have like that kind of like excitement in a relationship that's not it's all talking about bullshit well you talk about what's mutually interesting yeah? yeah so let's say for example you're talking about spreadsheets i don't care about finances i'm very like it's just not my thing but if you come and speak to me about spreadsheets i'm not going to be interested but if you're going to say to me because i'm i'm psychologist if you say i felt so nervous in a meeting today i felt so angry with a colleague today that i can connect to why what happened oh he said da, 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 da. there's an element of mutual interest but if you say this spreadsheet doesn't 
I don't know how spreadsheet. I can't even complete <laughs> the sentence. <laughs> this crypto broke. I don't know. I don't know anything about these things. So if you say that to me, my brain doesn't work. But if you say I'm so stressed because, then my brain is activated. So it's about expressing mutual interest. Makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. I want to get into um, like attractiveness, like. So mm-hmm. your perspective is obviously going to be very unique versus the red pill community. So I want to the ask losers. you that what, What's your, so I don't even really know what, no, that, what no. that even means though. Genuinely, yeah. it isn't like, I, I thought it meant like anti-matrix and I was like, oh yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's what I thought. I, I thought was like, this that. is great. But then apparently there's all like black pills oh, and now there's all different color pills. Yeah. But what's your reservations around that? Like, what's your, uh, reserve? My reservations is that is it's men who don't have the qualities it takes to get women um, and have healthy relationships, giving advice to other men about what makes a healthy relationship. Now, here's the thing. I'm not saying everybody has to be married with kids to give advice or anything like that. But if you're taking somebody who's ha- faced a lot of rejection, and a lot of like negativity because usually it stems from that you know the red pill they're very angry about you know this went wrong and this is what women are like and this is they're all that it's usually the men that face a lot of rejection in some way shape or form and through their rejection they've got lots of wisdom i'm not saying they're totally wrong they through their rejection they've got a lot of wisdom and then they give you all the tricks about women and this that and the other and they but they here's the thing they don't they talk about women not being accountable they're totally inaccountable because here's the trick if you vet a woman correctly and you stand by your boundaries and you select correctly you will never have a problem with women but when you allow them to disrespect you when you break your boundaries when you uh, you know accept the unacceptable of course you're going to have problems not just with women with everybody so it's it's making men feel like women are these like awful kind of enemies but the reality is I, I don't struggle with getting a man to be nice to me because I don't accept a man that's not nice to me. Mm-hmm. So therefore I can't relate to that girl that's like, men are trash, this and the other, because I'm just like, well, I don't allow that behavior to enter my life. Similarly, if a man is talking about women are this, women that, what it signals is you've allowed unacceptable behavior. That's on you. You have to take accountability for that. So if we start taking accountability for our selection process, we won't be red pill, black pill, blue pill. We will just be healthy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do women find attractive? Um, If I was trying to say one word that women find attractive, I would just say masculinity. And what I mean by masculinity, and I know that I keep talking about this, but I promise you, women find boundaries very attractive. They pretend that they don't. Here's the thing. They'll say, (laughs) you can't tell me what to do. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, here's the thing. They'll say, you can't tell me what to do. I'm my own woman, this, that, and the other. But there's something so attractive about a man that says, uh, who's not a people pleaser. When you're with a people pleaser, what happens then is you you just can't get that same chemistry for him because you do, he just likes what you like. Whereas when he's not a people pleaser and he lets you know what's what, there's something so it's so attractive about that because then what happens is you can allow him to lead. You can give him some of the decision making. Now, when my partner is not a people pleaser, I can just be like, oh, what should I do in this situation? What should I do in that? Like, you need to do da, da, da. And I'm like, oh, I feel shy saying that. And he's like, no, da, 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 because he's not a people pleaser. But if he was a people pleaser, I couldn't make those phone calls. I nice can't, guy. I can't, I can't ask him. Do I look nice in this? Yeah, you look nice. Do, should I go here? Yeah, whatever you think. I'm not getting anything from that. Therefore, I can't submit because I can't trust him to lead. So I think the boundaries and not being a people pleaser is the most attractive thing to a woman. So from a guy's perspective, they will have their own idea about what 
guys find or what girls find attractive so what would you say the flip flip side to that is so like what men find attractive in women i think without them realizing i think the real thing that they find attractive in women is a woman who is incredibly nurturing i think no matter how self-sufficient and how masculine a man is but when a woman takes care or predicts his needs before he says it he can't help but melt. So if she knows he might be hungry and there's something ready, if she knows that he might be tired, there's a coffee ready. If she knows that he's got work in the morning, he's going to be in a rush, there's a shirt ironed. These kind of nurturing acts makes a man feel loved. And I don't think they realize it because they're so conditioned to not expect that from women anymore and see that as oppressive and see that as toxic. They're just like, oh no, I don't even expect that. But when they receive it, they act like babies, like just received an opened present. They're like, oh, <laughs> coffee for me? Like, you know, like a, you did that for me? And it's like, oh yeah. And I think they don't realize that that is actually their universal love language. You never mentioned um, looks there at all. They do matter, but you know, to each their own. Uh, and honestly, it's there's a market for everybody. There is a market for everybody. You can be attractive, unattractive, tall, short, fat, skinny. There's a market for everybody. There's somebody who will find you attractive. Some people are luckier than others, um, but the reality is, there's a market for everybody. I want to ask you about, um, you know, like, so on the on the attractiveness side and on like the physical components. Do you think that's kind of been taking a little bit far out of context recently with the fact that, you know, as you mentioned, like guys can take steroids, girls can get any type of surgery yeah. these days, but they go like more and more extreme. Well, well, here's the problem. It's, it's ideal. It's why we're having so many short-term relationships yeah. because it's like putting a plaster over a broken leg. Like you can cover it and this, that, and the other, but the reality is it needs fixing. And so what's happening is people are masking their insecurities with a beautiful package. But when they get together, it takes a relatively insecure person to invest so much into their appearance that insecure person is then going to attract another insecure person but they haven't worked on the vulnerabilities that's causing a disconnect so i think that's why we're so focused on short term because looks is a very short-term strategy Mm -hmm. so if we put emphasis on that we're emphasizing what makes short-term connections so it's sad but it is the way of the world i can't you know it's also been around for so long though you know i know know it's been like you know it's it's like 10 times worse like now but if you i was thinking like if you went back to the 70s and 60s they were like the first boob jobs. And yeah, then- but here's the thing. I know like I'm a psychologist and stuff like that. And people always say, oh, you know, you're a psychologist. You wear makeup and this, that and the other. Like I shouldn't or something like that. But <laughs> I'm always going to wear makeup. I'll wear it on my funeral if I have to. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but here's the thing. Looks matter. Mm-hmm. And if you aren't attractive, that doesn't matter, but you can still be attractive as in you can take care of your body. You can take care of your physique. You can take care of your outfits and this uh, looks matter. And the reason they matter is there a signal of your self-esteem. What I mean by this is, and I, I'm talking for myself as well, when I'm not feeling good and I've maybe gained weight or something like that, I'm in black, this, that and the other. It signals, it's my signal to the world. Don't look at me. But when I'm feeling good, looking good, I make more of an effort. Now, the reality, when I have have clients come to me especially men and they say they're feeling low and this that and the other if they're overweight i say you need a pt not a psychologist go to a pt first i love that i'm such a bitch because <laughs> i'm like you're, you're too fat to be here i'll say it i'll say you it have to, to them. take care of yourself i'm like okay I'm, confidence i'm like okay i'm gonna have a conversation with you boost your ego for 10 minutes and then you're gonna go eat cake what is the point of that conversation fix your body first i promise you you won't even need me 
and think of how difficult it is to get all those things right. So training, mm. nutrition, mm. diet, sleep, have all that stuff in check. Even professional side of stuff. Not yeah. even making loads of money, but if you just get a good job or it's a job that makes you respect yourself, yeah. then you bring that to the dating market. Whether you're in a bar talking to a girl yeah. or if you use an app to talk to a girl. And you're not grateful every time a girl looks at you because you're like, well, I look after myself and this, that and the other. You're, it's, you abundance get, it's abundance. It's abundance. And here's the thing. I, I work with many CEOs and successful men. They tend to have very predictable routines. They wake up stupid early and they tend to get their workout out the way mm. they work work out stupid time in the morning and uh, you know by stupid o'clock they finish and they don't they usually just eat one meal a day and so i'm not saying that this is optimal but the most successful men i know are strict with what they put into their body mm. because it's a signal of self-respect now same thing with women if and you know uh, this whole body shaming culture and this that and the other and you know i could be very taken out of context but here's the thing if you're an overweight woman coming to me to saying, how do I build confidence? You go to your gym. Mm. I can't do it for you because what, what's, what, what's causing your lack of confidence is your inability to respect your body. You have to respect it first. And that includes not just the food you put in, who, who you share it with, everything. You have to respect your body. So until you lose the weight, I, I, it's limited what I can do for you. Mm -hmm. 100%. Yeah. I think... There's so many nuances to that. Like, and I've yeah. been training for 13, 14 years for this exact reason. Yeah. Because Were you ever a personal trainer? Uh, no, I was going to go down the route of the fitness side of things, but I actually, like my background's in software, like, right. like software engineering. Oh, wow. Uh, well, mixed with kind of business as well. So mm -hmm. I wanted to, I actually was built, I actually built uh, a PT app. Amazing. When I was 18. Do you still, when you were 18? <laughs> yeah, is it, it still for, around? Or? It's from my final year uh, college Amazing. project. But then, you make apps? Uh, yeah, so my background is in software. And um, I've so. obviously pivoted into the podcast world. Oh, amazing. So I worked with some like big uh, scale-up companies, startup companies. Amazing. Stuff like this. But what I'm trying to say is that I've just always had that passion, mm. that interest. And I just, even here, like as in I went to yeah. uh, Tam Khan's gym, yes. training there. Yeah. And I just like like. But here's the thing. I'm not passionate about working out and I love food. I really do. I don't enjoy the gym. It doesn't do it. You know, the people that love it and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I've been doing it for years and years. I've never developed that love, love for it. But the reality is I have to do it because otherwise I suffer psychologically. I suffer. I know I'll suffer. Like in Ramadan, I can't really work out. I can cut my food, but I can't really work out. I see the change in my body. I see how I don't like myself as a result. I psychologically suffer. So I go regardless, even if you don't have that. Because so many people say, oh, I hate the gym. I hate the gym. I don't have time for the gym. If you don't have time for the gym, you should definitely not have time to eat so much. Mm -hmm. Eat less you know compensate do 100%. something but food comes but body comes first it's mind body and soul we're holistic humans we can't work on one without the other it won't work it's multifactorial yeah i want to ask you about um the kind of rise in people saying oh you should have like multiple girlfriends and stuff like this right so what do you think i'm gonna say to this <laughs> <laughs> i want to so there's two sides there's obviously uh -huh. like the the practical the practical practical side of things in yeah. terms of like you know, should you do that or not? But I also want to discuss from like the women's perspective, the psychological impacts yes. of a guy who, mm -hmm. <coughs> who has multiple girlfriends. But I want to give the caveat that the guy takes care of financially, of financially, but he's also there like emotionally for like the children. And he's also like plays, plays a big part in that. Yeah. So that's obviously like a lot to do. But yeah, here's the thing. Um, <coughs> women that accept cheating men are cheating women. It's really that simple. Mm -hmm. And women who don't accept cheating men are the loyal ones. So if you're going to cheat on your wife and you're going to cheat on your partner and you think, but I'm looking after her so it's okay. And the red pill community really pushes that. Here's what they're not realizing. Only unfaithful women are okay with that deal. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I promise you, I work with them every single day. What happens is the woman that's actually loyal and really loves you, she can't handle the anxiety of it. She can't do it because she's too loyal. She's too loving to this, that, and the other. She disappears. She makes her life hell. She's horrible, whatever it is, but she's, you tend to be loyal. But the woman who is there for a paycheck and who's there sneaky, accepting it, this, that, and the other, I promise you she's plotting her revenge because in this day and age, the, the loyal woman and where she would just stay at home and just close the door when you would do something, they don't exist anymore. We have to accept that doesn't exist anymore. So if that woman doesn't exist anymore, yeah, and yet you want to do that lifestyle, accept that only the women that are able to take a financial rather than an emotional investment are going to stay. You're filtering it out. Those women are, tend to be disloyal. So if you are going to create that uh, dynamic, be prepared that you're also getting it back, but she's not telling you and she's doing it using your wallet. That's when it gets even more of like a. I've an never issue. seen it not work that way. Never. <clears throat> Maybe because I deal in, in big cities and stuff. Maybe it's different in like, you know, rural areas and this, that, and the other way. The women doesn't have it. But the reality is, it takes a certain type of woman that accepts that. And that type of woman is the one that's like, okay, I'm going to keep quiet. Mm-hmm. But, honey. That's mm-hmm. so dangerous. You know what I mean? Like it's the whole. Terrib- here, here's what it finish, is. You know? The children suffer. That's what I mean. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. going to be back to the core and what ha- that generation. In my, on. in my experience of seeing couples where both are doing that, the only people that suffer are the children because mom is disconnected, dad is disconnected, and they're not connected to each other. When they're connected to each other, the shared goal is the children. But they, one is going there, the other one's going there. The children don't know what time mom is coming home. They don't know what time dad's coming home. Do you think uh, women are under more pressure? these days with picking between a family or a career they are but i feel like they're almost pressure to do the career thing yeah 100%. yeah they're, they're they're, so i don't feel like they are under pressure i think they're just misdirected and here's the thing I, you know what i really think it's down to is when you're an educated woman what happens is your potential gets bigger than just a housewife i'm not saying just a housewife in a disrespectful way yeah i think it's the most amazing thing you can do my mom is a housewife but um my mom didn't go to uni and stuff like that when a woman has done so much and she's worked or something like that what's happened is she knows how to optimize her brain's utility like she knows what it's capable of when she goes from that to just looking after the kids all day what happens is she starts to resent that role a bit more and so what it's really difficult for women because they love that child they want to be there for that child this that, and the other, but they do need a, an intellectual outlet mm. whereas before because she didn't expand her brain as much it's fine just you know having one-way conversations with your three-year-old now it's become very difficult for women so it's very hard for them imagine being so intellectually stimulated all day to go to that to just this kind of selfless being for a while who is not even responsive to you yet and you're a slave to that child it's not easy and even little things like she's used to dressing up putting her heels on going to work and now she can't remember the last time she got her hair done it's very difficult for women so I, I, I understand where the misdirection is coming from but it's very difficult to go from expansive brain to then just doing that and feeling fulfilled so they end up becoming negative and taking it out on their partner Mm. they end up abusing their husbands they're almost resentful and jealous that their husband can just pick up and go to work and then come back when he wants and then go to football where she can't do any of that because she's so connected and so the child is so reliant on her so it's very difficult i really really don't have the answer for this one i feel like if i had a child that i wouldn't want to do all the fucking go and play golf and go into the football everything because the other person 
will grow resentful. Yeah. It's almost like you feel now under pressure that you shouldn't. Like you should be yeah. like, I, so I'd want to be there because it's the right thing to do. Like it's not the right thing to do. But to you actually want, want to help them. Yeah, exactly. yeah you, you know want I mean? to help them. And when you've got partners that genuinely your happiness is my happiness, your burdens are my burdens, they get through it really well. Mm-hmm. But when you've got partners that are in competition with each other and saying, you went to golf, so I'm going to go out with the girls, it's a recipe for resentment. You said there about the uh, more opportunities. Like, so like the woman was obviously, mm. she's more exposed to more opportunities, which is obviously a great thing. Great we're, thing. You know, yeah. we're in like, we're like top 1% in terms of the opportunity we have, yeah. right? But it is not very interesting to observe how like the more choice you have, the more depressed you can be. Absolutely. Here's the thing, what happens when you have so many options. When you don't have too many options, what happens is you elevate the status of what you do have. So say, for example, like when you got your first car, Mm -hmm. it was the most exciting experience in the world because you had no alternatives. But when you've driven a few cars, you're like, this is shit, this is good, this, that, and the other. We all do this. So what happens is alternatives reduces satisfaction and it reduces pleasure. So And it reduces appreciation. All of those things is reduced. And we're living in a world where even when watching a TV show, there's so many alternatives. So it's something we can't escate. We almost have to self-regulate and just fixate on one thing, but it's very difficult. What do you think um, the role of a man should be in a, in a relationship? The role of the man is, I, I think the role of the man, I know it sounds typical and stuff like that, but leadership is important. And the reason why leadership is important is because if he doesn't lead she already has to lead when it comes to kids and all these other things. Women are already overburdened in the dynamic of a relationship, men, women, children. And this is not me defending women or saying that they're, but the reality is women are physically more burdened by marriage and kids physically the whole body changes child is like uh, attached to them uh, honestly their whole vagina is destroyed everything is just broken for them after a child and more so than that they emotionally can't relax every time they're thinking the baby's crying the baby's hungry there's this that and the other so the emotional exhaustion in a woman is so draining now when she has a husband that she also has to babysit because he doesn't know what what, uh, where to go he doesn't know what we're doing he doesn't know how to make decisions i she feels like she's raising everybody and she starts to disrespect him. Mm-hmm. She gets really disrespectful. Do you think everyone should have children? No. You think there's some people that won't be available to do it? I think the if you are not nurturing and you are very traumatized or you're a bit abusive or your dynamic between your, your partner is negative, you would be doing a disservice to to the child. So I, I know every bit children are amazing and they can really revolutionize you. And you can go from being that really broken person and you can heal through the beauty of having a child. But I do think like, you know, when I see women who just get themselves pregnant, you know, through a sperm bank, uh, children need to feel like two people brought them into this world willingly. When they feel like one person didn't even want anything to do with them and their dad just you know, masturbated into a jar, it does something to them. Mm. There's so much curiosity. I wonder what my dad, I wonder, wonder, wonder. <laughs> and more so than curiosity, there's so much abandonment. He didn't want me. Mum wanted me. And usually the woman that does that is one who is very emotionally exhausted. She's tried everything. So she's hoping for this child to give her a sense of family and she's almost too dependent on the child. 
So I don't think these measures are good, even though my, like, you know, adoption, all these things are amazing. But even when you adopt alone, they're so difficult. Children are so difficult. If they're not born out of two people's commitment and love, they can, you can destroy them. You can really you devastate them. I completely agree. Like, I don't yeah. think we need more people in the world. Like, you know, I don't know that's another <laughs> different debate. But the thing is, you know? be- they're beautiful. Of course. Yeah. But I mean, like, I don't, I think that, so when I was a kid, I used to think that like parents had everything figured out. And then when I became an adult, I realized that nobody has anything figured nobody. out. So then when you're looking at some people, you're like, fuck, should they really have children? Because yeah. some people are just not uh, like emotionally mature enough. And so many children will say, um, my mom should never have been a mother. So many people saying that she's not ready for it. She was never nurturing. She was never caring. Of course, their existence is beautiful and amazing. They still mean something. But what happens when your parents aren't ready for you, um, you're, there's a disconnect. And children are never, ever going to stop loving their parents, but they do stop loving themselves when they feel disconnected from their parents. Um, you kind of mentioned like daddy issues like associated with that. Yeah, I do scene, talk like about that, that a lot. Like culture mm. or like that just reference, I suppose, is overarching. Yeah. Uh, how do you overcome that? very difficult but first thing i would say is get two sides of the argument yeah now some men are just deadbeat dads they really are yeah i'm not justifying but majority of the time and i said this before is men typically don't give up on children but they do give up on co-parenting if the wife is too difficult that happens a lot when there's some mothers who make even seeing the child a headache and really really drive that man away he ends up giving up on the children and children are just collateral damage from the mom being too difficult and then what the mom does is brainwash the children into thinking that the dad was this and the dad was that and dad was that so that child grows up into the real world thinking dad is a prick mum was the savior but what they don't realize is when you start thinking 50% of you is horrible you internalize that damage you think 50% of you is unlovable and your mum hates 50% of you so damaging so so damaging so what happens is these people become like lost and naive and they don't know how to sustain like their sense of identity so the first thing i would always say is try and get both sides of the story try and understand both sides of the story now sometimes it's accessible you see dad he walks past you in the street you know you make peace with that you know it's an internal issue in dad but other times you don't even get dad's side of the story and you spend your whole life hating a part of you that when when really he may have been fighting for you maybe he went to court maybe he tried but your mum made it so impossible once you get both sides of the story you start looking at both people as you would look at a disabled person just like a disabled person can't run if they've got broken legs some people are so broken emotionally they can't give love to their child how do you do that first step oh you know what i hate to talk on issues that i haven't experienced myself because i don't know how difficult it is and even me when i fight with my dad i'll be like i'm not talking to him you know like he should talk to me blah blah but what i would say with the first step is having an internal dialogue where you try and understand their perspective and you try and understand okay mum was maybe having an affair or mum was really physically abusive do you think maybe dad had a reason for kind of letting go and starting again? And do you think maybe dad had a reason for, and a lot of men experience this. What happens with men when they grew up, when they were kids, mom, maybe dad had an affair on mum, and mum brainwashed, not brainwashed, but told the guy, your dad did this, your dad did this, and they hate the dad. But then when they become adults, that maybe they have affairs. Mm-hmm. And then they start seeing things from their dad's perspective, and they're like, fuck, I haven't spoken to dad in 12 years, but now I'm having an affair. Am I this am i that guy then they start to bond so internally so the reality is you are never going to live a fulfilling life when you hate a parent 
you're just not, unfortunately. I wish it was different because there are some parents that are so super unlovable. And there's been times even in my life where I'm like, mom, I'm so sick of you, blah, blah, blah. But the reality is we can't be whole without the two people that birthed us. Now, the best thing is, I'm not saying forgive everybody, but try and create some connection if you can, even if it's at arm's length, even if it's with boundaries, create that connection selfishly. Do it for you. Do it for you because... I promise you, those underlying anxiety, depression, coping mechanisms, addictions, they come from not feeling loved by two people that birthed you. So try your absolute best to have compassion or some form of connection whilst protecting your peace. That's like amazing advice because there's so many people who struggle in that. I know, and you it know breaks I mean? my heart. But they're not willing. I think it's just a step. Yeah, and I get so more. much hate for this online, especially by single moms. They're like, you don't know what you're talking about, this, that, and the other. Here's the thing. Yes, I don't know what it's like to be a single mom, but I know what it's like when I had a student in my classroom crying, saying, I actually miss my dad, but my mom won't let me text him. Mm. I know what that's like. I know what it's like when that child gets older and, you know, the kids are like, oh, my dad's taking me football. And they're like, yeah, my dad's taking me football. And they've never met their dad. I know what that looks like because you as a mom will ignore that because you just want to protect your own ego and say, my kids are fine. They're doing well in school. They're I know what that looks like. I've worked with these kids my whole life. Mm. I've dedicated a lot of time to these kids. I remember being in parents' evening and saying things like, oh, wait till I tell your dad. And they're like, Mama, I don't know my dad. Or yeah. I remember, and this, this is where it really triggered me. It was, it was Father's Day, and I had a student come in, and he was only 13 years old, and he said, Miss, it's Dickhead's Day today. It's Dickhead's Day today. And I said, well, sorry, what? And I said, it's Father's Day. What are you talking about? He said, my mum says it's Dickhead's Day today. And I said, okay. And I, I didn't want to tell him off because he was obviously trying to release something. My dad, my mum says that dad used to do that and listed all of these things that the dad did. And I looked at this boy and I had to take a minute. And I said, okay, because I started to cry. Yeah, because I was thinking in her desperate attempt to find emotional connection with her children and release her anger and resentment, she's causing this young boy so much damage. She has no idea. Mm -hmm. She has no idea what she's doing. Projecting her opinion. She has no idea what she's doing to that boy. Yeah, so many anxieties, insecurities, gender issues come from this. And there's a part of me that really wanted to like call her and have a word with her. Obviously, you know, confidentiality, I can't do certain things, child protection and all that stuff, I can't do it. But when I when I work with young boys who have real issues, especially boys, you know, I say, because we, we all know about girls with daddy issues, but when I work with young boys who are not achieving in school, I'm going to get emotional. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I'm <laughs> going to, maybe because podcast? I'm thinking about my kids, my students and stuff. Maybe yeah, I'm a, I'm maybe so, a good host. Maybe, maybe because I'm diving into my connection with my dad and how much strength I got from my connection with my dad. And I really hate to think people are deprived of that. Yeah, I think that a lot of people will project their opinions on other people without yeah. understanding the circumstances. Kids, if you take the perspective of a child, even if his dad's a dickhead, but you tell him your dad loved you so much, I'm so sorry, He's, he used to always ask about you. Mm. And even if he never did, uh, you make a Christmas card and say, dad sent you that. Do you know what that does to a child's self-esteem? Mm-hmm. It's immeasurable. But when you say dad doesn't pay for you, you know dad has got new kids, you know this and the other, that that single mom doesn't deserve those children. Mm-hmm. Creates more of a friction than anything else. Um, yeah. A bit more a bit more tragic, but what about like people like lost a parent mm. quite young? Have you had any experience with that? Yeah, 
Yeah. Losing a parent is very different to uh, separating because mm. here's the thing with grief, we can make peace with grief. We understand that it's no one's hands. It's not a choice. Abandonment is my dad chose somebody else. My mom chose somebody else. It's a completely different experience. So it has a massive impact on self-worth. What grief does is have a massive impact on their uh, future. It makes them think the future is uncertain. So what happens then, sometimes they engage in self-sabotaging behavior or they get depressed because they feel like the future is bleak. They start to worry about future, whereas the abandonment is more the current kind of anxieties. Maybe they're bad at school and this, that and the other. The, the grief of the loss of a parent is um, very, very damaging for a child, but in a different way. Yeah, in a completely different can they, way. Can they grow from the experience in some aspect because like, they realize the severity of the world? Here's how they grow from it. You keep the memory of the, child, of the parent alive and you elevate it for that child. Mm -hmm. So this is a great way to... Uh, here's the thing. If I lost, God forbid, I can't even say the sentence, but if somebody lost their um, father young, but you say... Your dad used to love it when you did this, or your dad used to do this, or your dad used to do that, and you elevate the dad's status to that child, it's so motivating. Mm. Yeah, it's super. But then what some parents do or some families do is they pretend it never happened. They don't mention the dad. That curiosity creates sadness in the child. Yeah, but you create that image. Here's the thing. Our imagination, our brain is incredible. If I tell you to imagine something, you experience it. So if I say to you, dad loves you so much, you start feeling loved. You, our brain creates that connection. So you elevate the experience and you elevate the status of that parent and you direct the child using it. Your dad loved it when you used to do this. Your dad would be so proud if you did that. Your dad used to love you know, a uh, football or whatever it is. You create that connection, even if it's a pseudo connection, and also, uh, maybe I'm speaking from a religious perspective, but creating the hope that they will reunite. Mm -hmm. There is an afterlife and te teaching them that, it helps. The perspective is just so important no matter what you're doing, whether it's like a single parent or someone who's lost someone tragically. Yeah. Because you see... It I find these conversations ways. really tough. Yeah. I think it's... The reason it, why it's played such a big impact, but people don't really discuss these things, I think. Do, you know do you, I mean? Are your parents alive? Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, mine. Are, yeah, you know okay, I mean? yeah. Uh, but I've had friends and I have close friends that I've mm. met that like, you know, their dad died when you're younger mm. or their mom died. I can't talk about these you know? kind of things. I think I start thinking because my parents are getting older. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I get well, anxious. I'm the, I'm the exact same, you know, mm. I can't think about that. And I've never had like a tragic death. Me too. I've been very lucky, praise be to God. Yeah. lucky for But I just think it's... The reason I'm saying that is because like it seems like it's a barometer for how people set up their life. So some guys go on to become incredibly successful in the financial mm. world. But of course but it's a then, coping mechanism. Exactly. That's what I mean. It's a coping mechanism. But it's like they channel the energy towards Yeah, the, the, it's hyper success is always a coping mechanism. Now if they didn't process the experience of losing a parent, what they then do is try and cope with it with distraction and healthy distractions. Um abandonment tends to lead to more self-sabotaging in the form of addictions like uh, gambling and alcohol and this, that and the other but what grief does the coping mechanism might be hyper success hopefully that is you know best case scenario hyper success so they, they they use it as fuel but depending on how the parent pit is pitched to them if it's like a hero it's fantastic for the child one of the last areas I want to finish up on is... Is it, is it time already? No, we still have a bit... Well, oh, it's, the it's, time it's, flies. It's, it's almost tree. It's almost tree. It's like it's almost tree. tree. Okay, tree yeah, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so last thing I want to finish up on is like, how do people kind of break toxic relationships? So and when do you flag that you should get out? 
Here's what I would say. Sometimes you're in a relationship and it's caused so much biological kind of biochemical disruption that you literally can't soothe yourself. You literally can't calm down. Your neurotransmitters are all over the place. You're thinking about this. You're preoccupied. If it's getting to that point where it's actually getting abusive and you're still in that relationship because you just can't get let go, take something don't be too proud. Yeah. Do not be too proud. Take something to reduce your anxiety because what that will do is you'll slowly stop relying on them to soothe you and you can see it for what it is. So if it's bordering on abuse, take something to calm yourself down first and foremost. If it's not, and it is just a case of you're just attached to the wrong person, here's what it is. In order to maintain that relationship, your love for that, you have to, must, you must be loving that person more than you're respecting yourself. Mm-hmm. And it, you cannot gain self-respect through bad decisions. Yeah, it's like you, you're digging the hole deeper. So what happens is you're losing self-respect and you're gaining attachment to them. And every time you go back to them, you lose more self-respect. So you lose any kind of fuel you would have to, or any strength you would have to leave them. Every time you go back, the self-esteem is going to cost you something. And it usually costs you your self-esteem. So if you take back the wrong person... Each time your self-esteem drops, self-esteem drops, self-esteem drops, and then your self-esteem is too low to even have that conversation of leaving them. So you have to break that cycle. And even if you don't have the self-esteem to leave, you make the good and effective decision to do it and you'll see your self-esteem rise. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you have to just expect that it's going to hurt and it's not going to feel right. But your self is, what, what's to gain from that is your self-esteem will slowly rise, slowly rise, self-respect will rise. And it will get to a point where that person you're attached to no longer is attracted, you're not attracted to them anymore. Mm-hmm. But when you go back to them, what happens, self-esteem drops, self-esteem, and they still seem on a pedestal. So you have to see it like that. If I go back, I I lose self-esteem. They're still on the pedestal. If I leave, I gain self-respect. You start to see them for who they are. I always try to think about it as well in terms of like where you'll be in six months, 12 months, two years, four years. Like if if it's like this now, Jesus Christ, where can it go? And of course, if there's a positive and the negative that can come out. But if you you just scope the negative outcomes, Mm. like you're literally on like the worst spiral. Yeah, because here's what they do. They're like, oh, but they're so good at times. And they, they see, you know, the potential and it could be great. Here's the thing. People get worse they get worse sometimes we get better but usually we're not in the same environments we might get better if we start a new relationship but in the same environment we tend to get worse because we get more comfortable so whatever behavior they're showing you now if you accept it accept it's going to reoccur Mm -hmm. if you can accept it that it's going to reoccur fine go on but if you want them to change you have to look at yourself instead of saying why can't they change ask yourself that because you can't kind of hold this person by the throat and be like you have to start doing this you know let them be who they are you have to hold yourself by the throat and think if you if this is bothering you why are you here 100%. 100%. Yeah. I think you just kind of have to have that real self-respect that you can't just like drive people to be a certain person. You know yeah. I mean? just, and you have to, here's is, you the know? thing, they're entitled to be who they are. Exactly. But yeah. if they don't want to... And if they don't want to change, they don't want to, don't want to respect your boundaries, wish them the best of luck from a distance. But don't force them to change. They're not going to. You can't change. I can't change. Human beings are, uh, they're steady. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're predictable. I want to say a massive thank you. No, thank you. This was a great conversation. I, I, I'm surprised it went so quickly. I know. Yeah. Half two hours, but I really, really do appreciate it. Though. No, and, I appreciate I that. We started speaking at the start of the week. And, and I, was... I normally feel very saturated from doing lots of uh, podcasts and stuff like that because I, I feel like I repeat myself and this, that, and the other, but I didn't feel like that at all. I felt like it was brand new territory. I'm getting there. You know? No, you're, oh, you're not getting there. You're fantastic. Two and a half years later. Stop it. You're fantastic. <laughs> well, thank, thank you so, so much. much.
Oh, pleasure. Snap, we said it at the same time. <laughs> oh, we'll do yeah. more conversations. Inshallah, of course. Take of course. care. Of course. Yeah, of course. thank you.